0: Hello, and welcome to part two of our conversation with Dr. Jennifer Merlot. We are chatting with Dr. Merlot about referring cases to the ER. In the last episode, we dove deep into all of the things that ER docs wished the GP docs knew before sending their cases to them in part two, we are going to actually do the reverse. We're going to talk about all the things that GPs wished the ER docs knew before sending cases on to them. So if it seems like the conversation kind of gets started midway, that is just because we split it up into two different parts. And the first part of it was in the last episode. So if you didn't catch that, be sure to listen to that one as well. So please enjoy part two of our conversation with Dr. Merlot. Welcome to the DVM Divas podcast. It's no secret that the veterinary profession is made up of thousands of amazing women. In fact, we're more than 60% of the current workforce. But it's also apparent that we've been struggling to stay happy and fulfilled. Well, join us, the DVM Divas, as we take this profession back from discontent. Listen as we explore the concepts that motivate us. Community. Making positive changes growth, compassion, and courage. Laugh with us, cry with us, celebrate with us as we define what it means to be a badass woman in veterinary medicine. So the list that you had for the general practitioner request to the ER doctor is is a little bit shorter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was. I was like, man, that is a little bit shorter. I I don't know why that is because I'm sure that there are more things I'm just not thinking of.
0: But I think the first section of the list was very encompassing of both sides. It really was. But, you know, so from the general practitioner to the ER doctor, we've touched on some of these a little bit already, but maybe showing us a little bit of grace in that we don't have all the bells and whistles. I don't have a thoracic ultrasound echocardiogram capabilities, or I just don't have time to do some of those things. That one definitely, I think, was a good one to start with. Yes, because I do hear that. And I, you know, I hear that from
1: younger veterinarians, people coming right out of school and internships. And, and, you know, the first thing they say is, well, why didn't that person do this, this, and this at their clinic when the case was there? And it's like, okay they may not have the capability to do all of that. Or maybe they do. And like you said, they're busy, or they don't have the staff to do it. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Maybe the best decision that they could make in that moment was to say, this is more than we can handle at our practice right now. And you need to go somewhere that can take care of this pet right now. And they, they wanted to get it to us as fast as possible. In an ideal world, sure, everybody would do everything that we were taught in school, and everybody yeah. would work everything up perfectly, and things would be grand. But that doesn't happen. Right. Um, And again, instead of assuming that what someone did or didn't do was done out of mal intent or anything like that, maybe just starting to think like, okay, they, They probably didn't have access to this, or maybe their x-ray machine was broken, or maybe they are a more rural vet and they don't have those things available to them. You know, that's one of the things having been a relief vet for the last year and a half, I've been to many different types of practices, and some have everything and some have very limited capabilities, and you have to learn how to work with that. And I work case up very differently at one versus the other. And I'm sure if somebody on the other side got a referral from me from one versus the other clinic, they would be like, what? happened here? Like, why are these so different? But it's just what we have to work with. We're doing the best we can.
0: So uh, kind of on a little bit of a tangent to that, this is just coming from my own personal experience. If you're an ER doctor and you're, you're having that phone call with the referring GP before the case gets there, which is great, which is what we should be doing. There is a certain way that you can ask if a test or procedure has been done. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely. Nicely. And, you know, maybe, did you do the abdominal synthesis? Not, why didn't you do this? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> is that what we were going for? Yes. That's what I was going for. Yes. Is, or it's kind of a passive aggressive. What were the results of XYZ test? Oh, yeah.
1: Nothing makes you feel worse than that. Like, I've been on the receiving end of that. And it makes you feel like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not as good of a doctor. Right. Oh, so your words do matter.
0: Yes. You could say, hey, did you have the chance or have the ability to do this? And no, I couldn't do it today. Or no, I don't have that toy to do it. I didn't say toys. I don't want to minimize diagnostics. (laughs) But yeah, your words do matter. And please try not to infer that we are less than because something didn't get done I I agree wholeheartedly, yes. Yeah, so our number two request to the ER docs is, could you please send us an updated report as soon as it is realistically available?
2: Can I tell you something that, okay, so. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I need to sit back a little bit. (laughs) This drives me nuts. I had the pet in front of me. Pet was there previously, but I don't have the report. And here, here for a recheck. And I think we spoke about this once before. It was the medical records one. And when I need the records, because the pet's in front of me and they refuse to send the records without the doctor that saw the pet signing off on them, but that doctor is not there today. (laughs) And they won't be back for a week. So you're going to have to wait. And I'm just (laughs) like, okay, no, I have the pet here. I don't care if it's not done. I just need to know what sort of happened because
1: the client doesn't know. Right. Because the client is just like, well, you're, I'm just supposed to come for a recheck and
2: you should know everything. And yeah. So I don't care if it's pet was here quickly bullet pointed fluids, this medication sent home with this report to follow. That's fine. But what drives me nuts is when I call and call and call and I can't get anything. And I'll be honest with you, I have not had any problems with that with the hospitals that I deal with now. But that drives me nuts. I just want something. Or if you can't give it to me, get on the phone with me. There needs to be some, again, communication
1: back and forth, because otherwise we can't do our jobs on either end, right? You know, it puts the GP doctor in a really awkward position when the client is like, well, I was there yesterday or two days ago. They said they were going to send you the report and you're standing there like, "Uh, I got nothing, you know, or you don't know what was done. You don't know what you're supposed to recheck or anything. And then, yeah, I've been in that same situation, Maria, and you can't get records. And you're literally like, can someone just get on the phone and read to me out of the computer what was done to this pet so I can do something? while said pet is in front of me, like need something to go by, especially euthanasias too. That is my pet peeve. When I worked at the ER and we had interns, that was one of the one things I drilled into their head was like, if you euthanize a patient, I don't care what else you're doing, you get that report done and you physically are the one to fax or email it. So you know, it got done because that referring vet needs to know because the last thing they need to do is send that pet a reminder card in six months or call to check on it in a week. And it, was euthanized.
0: Well, I had one, I don't remember exactly what was wrong. I think it was just one of those vague ADR type cases and they were sort of unicorn type clients and it was a Thursday and and we had run whatever blood work and x-rays we couldn't really come up with much and and I offered referral as an option to them and they jumped on it. They said, "Yeah, let's do it." I said, "Okay, go." And we sent all we did, we sent all of our results, we sent everything. And then I think on Monday, all of a sudden I saw in my appointment book it was that dog scheduled for euthanasia. <laughs> I had no idea what they diagnosed and I didn't want to start grilling the client when they were already there and emotional. And and so, yeah, then, so then I had to that busy Monday morning, rack them down and be like, well, and there are
1: still some ERs out there that are only open at night. They're few and far between, but there still are some that are not there during the day. So then you're really between a rock and a hard place. You have no way of getting those records and you're just, you're stuck with the client staring at you and you're like, I got nothing. (laughs) It not only puts you in an awkward position, but it subconsciously makes the ER look like, well, what were they doing if they didn't send a report over? Like where did the communication fail here?
0: If the request is that referring GPs will send discharge instructions, my request is to ER practitioners, would you please also send like a little brief discharge instructions with the client too? So... Uh so yeah, that's definitely and I we get it too. Like we understand that yeah, it it's hard to stop what you're doing and you're so slammed some nights that you don't have time to make the report. And we're not asking you to stay up and stay there till the wee hours of morning, but if you even just a bare minimum something is especially if it's something pressing that we're we may be seeing in the next day or
1: so. I mean, you can prioritize your charts. You know what's going back to the referring vet today and what's not going to get seen again for a couple of weeks. So...
0: Um, So this was an interesting one. And now for me, since I refer emergencies to the university, the ER and the specialist are all under one roof, but this one was, please communicate back to the general practitioner before sending an emergency case off to an outside specialist. Potentially, there may be things that can be done at the referring practice or the home practice, that kind of thing. That was interesting to me because it didn't necessarily pertain to me. So I And that, and it may be very um, specific to certain hospitals where you're,
1: where they're a combination kind of specialty and ER all in one setting. I've run into that a few times in the last 10 years or so where some general practitioners like to get all of their cases back. Like they want to do chemo in their hospitals and they want to do blood transfusions and they want to do the orthopedics and all of that kind of stuff. And they want the opportunity to do that stuff um, and they feel it a takes away revenue from their hospital when you're giving it away to somebody else and that they weren't consulted on their client and their patient's care. I will say that's, I think that's sort of phasing out. Um, I think younger doctors are more apt to say like, yeah, that needs to go see a neurologist, or I don't want to deal with that case, or, you know, I don't want to be worried about giving blood transfusions and stuff like that. But, um, I think that conversation is always good to have. I, I usually try to have it before the case comes to me. That's usually one of my questions when I talk to the referring vet is like, if this you know case does end up being hospitalized and we feel it needs to see such and such specialty, do you want us to call you first? Are you okay with us making that referral? Are you okay with that suggestion? And some of them will say, yeah, that sounds great. That's why I'm sending it to you others say, well, you know, I'd really like to have that discussion and see what we can do at our hospital. Um, so I think it's fair to give that opportunity to the, the referring vet unless they specify
2: otherwise. I think like now the ER vets know me. But um, when I did start here, I did get that question like, would you like me to if it if it's surgical, if it's this, if it's that, do you want us just to just keep it here? Or do you want us to send it back to you guys? And the only time I say to send it back to us if the client really can't afford it, and we can do it. I'm more, the pet's there, get it done with the specialist. That's how I am. So I always tell them, look, if they can't afford it and we can do it, call me. If they can't afford it and the specialist is going to do it, they are there already. Let them do it. You know, the only time I do get a little upset is I have had ER facilities. They go to the specialist where they go to the ER and then they refer the patient back to their GP. Oh. So the hospital has a GP specialty NDR that I don't like because then you are taking my client. You know, I do think like, obviously some clients are going to want to have that right there, but I am, I do think is once it is always a good conversation to have, especially if you don't know the GP.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Maria. I've, I've seen that happen as well, where it gets referred back to the, the GP within the building. And I don't agree with that because you're burning a bridge then with your referring vet and who has the capability of sending you a lot more cases. Right. Um, you know, you're taking one case versus a lot of cases. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think crosses a little bit of a boundary line for me as well. It's certainly not something I would do. But even, you know, even talking to the GPs about, hey, you know, this IMHA is going to see medicine, but then, you know, do you want it to come back to you for reach? after that? or do you want it to recheck at internal medicine? Like how, do you feel comfortable doing those rechecks? And just again, open communication.
0: So (laughs) open communication. And this last one is a big one. It's a good one, right? It is a good one. Uh, ER docs, if you have or discover some sort of discrepancy or some sort of error or something that you feel like should be addressed, would you please discuss that with your referring GP before bringing that up to the client? Please, please. No one wants to
1: hear the like, well, the ER doctor told me that because you gave my cat steroids, it went into heart failure. like, And I've seen that happen and had to diffuse that situation. Again, everybody makes their choices in the moment that they do for the reasons that they do. We all make mistakes. I have made a mistake in dosing something before and been, you know, after the, the you know, syringe is administered and you go, wait a minute, um, I've done it. And your heart sinks and you're like, holy crap. <laughs> I would, if I made that type of an error and it was caught by the ER doctor, I would want that phone call as tough as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as jaw dropping awful, like, oh my gosh, I want to die. Like, this is terrible. I want to have that conversation with another doctor so I can do the like, holy cow, what did I do moment? And then know I can address it with my client. Yeah, let me know. Like, I want to know from my colleagues, oh, I gave a 10-time overdose of steroids. Like, what was I thinking? You're right. Like, what do I do? (laughs)
0: Um, And I think some of this too, we've talked a little bit about it before in a previous episode, generational gaps and that kind of thing is we were, you know, I graduated maybe, you know, a long time ago compared to, you know, more newer grads who have probably been taught things differently than I have been taught. And especially if some of those newer grads are in ER right now and they're killing it. And well, okay, I shouldn't say killing it. ER. (laughs) poor choice of words, Bad choice of words, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) but they're rocking it in the ER. (laughs) It's been a very, very long time that since I've learned any sort of emergency critical care stuff, unless I've been to some recent CE or those sorts of things. And, you know, I may be making choices that aren't necessarily because, I'm choosing to be negligent and may just be because I'm I'm not educated. And so, yeah, I would love for someone to reach out and be like, Hey, you know what? That used to be standard, but now we know more and now we know this. And so that's much more constructive to me than going on Facebook even and saying, I can't believe that you know what would do this or that and dragging our colleague through the dirt and, and there's very diplomatic ways
1: of having that conversation of saying, like, you know, did you mean to give this much of this drug? Just curious, you know, because I, you know, I'm not familiar with giving that much and just finding out what your colleague says. I mean, maybe they did mean and maybe, or maybe they're like, I gave how much like really busy in that moment, and they moved a decimal point, and they told the tech to give the wrong amount, it happens, yeah. right? Or, you know, there's ways to say, like, hey, you know, we used to give a lot of steroids in shock cases, but now we stray away from it. I don't know if you knew that. And like, this is why, and you know, maybe in the future, give this instead and you'll have a better result. Who knows? But the conversation can be had where it doesn't become a, like, I'm trying to tell you how to practice medicine. It's more of a, like, let's discuss the case and, and both learn from it.
0: Of all else, I think, you know, I, cause I, gosh, I have seen some stuff and like I said on social media and that kind of thing. And whether it's clients bashing doctors, whether it's doctors bashing doctors, it's, man, if we could have just talked to each other first, that could have just saved so much stress and heartache. So I do want to give a little shout out, a little bit of love to the ER practices right now, because I would imagine in this COVID world that we're all living in, when a lot of general practices have had to drastically change their protocols, their caseloads have been you know, slashed for whatever reason. I feel like a lot of weight has been put on the emergency rooms right now. And to all of you who are doing that and giving the chance for pets to still receive care when maybe the general practitioners aren't able to do it, you know, not of their own choosing, but just because of what we're dealing with. Thank you. And I, I just, has that been, have you noticed or felt that, that crunch, Jennifer, where you are at? Yeah, it's been busy, like just busy
1: and busy with all sorts of cases, like not just the true like emergency hit by cars, GDVs, but like the cases that can't get in to see their family that because they're changing their hours or they're booked out for however long. and And so we are seeing a large uptick in cases. I would say most clients have been very understanding of the fact that we're busier the fact that they can't come in the building, we do always get the ones who are mad about that, as you guys have talked about before, you know, like, and I think it's hard, because in our situation, their cases are coming in really sick or really critical. And then we're telling them, you can't face to face talk with the doctor that you've never met, you can't see your pet after we get it admitted into the hospital. And if they're really like, if they come in, and they start crashing, and they're not doing well to be to have to call a client and be like, you can't come in the building to see your pet, you know, that's heartbreaking. Um, Those have been the toughest when I've had to call people over critical things and, and say, you know, this is not going well. And I wish you could come in and say bye. And, and I can't let you come in the building.
2: Are you letting people come in for euthanasia? Um,
1: so each hospital is sort of different. Most of us, um, luckily, the weather in, in Charlotte is pretty nice. Um, so we do them outside. Most of the ERs I've worked at have set up like an outside tent area where we we are able to do it out there. In bad weather, we, we have let people come in, they just have to wear a mask and that's Kind of stuff. I, I'm not going to tell somebody they can't be with their pet at those final moments. So,
0: have you uh, seen an uptick in all the cases that you didn't want to see, and that's why you got into emergency work in the to begin with?
1: <laughs> no, no. Luckily, I, you know, I don't mind since I do both. I, I, it doesn't bother me too. But I think some of the other ER doctors that yeah. strictly do ER are like, if I see another ear infection or like skin thing, like I'm done. You know. Um, The 3 a.m. ear infection that hasn't been able to get in. But yeah, for the most part, you know, we're just happy to to be able to provide the service and and that people are being so, you know, understanding of everything.
2: I know I'm very grateful for the ER doctors, mainly because I use them a lot. Like, (laughs) so I'm grateful for them. But I will say that even as a GP, like during this time, I don't know if I maybe it's because everybody's home, but we've been getting a lot. Cases and they're not like vaccines and stuff. They're like sick. Yes, everything is really sick, complicated sick, complicated sick. Or this one got bit by a tick and there's a tiny (laughs) inflammation (laughs) that needs to be seen today. Yes,
1: every. I think people are just home looking at their animals Mm -hmm. more and are starting to notice things. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have ta- you know mentioned this before, but I have seen so many blocked cats in the last two months. The cats hate their owners being home, like just hate them being home. And they're all blocking. Like every ER shift, there's like three or four blocked cats. Like (laughs) it's ridiculous. (laughs) But yeah, they're all complicated cases. And this has probably been for all of us the most exhausting three months because of everything we're dealing with. And you don't get the like fun, happy cases right now, depending on where you are.
0: We've actually been seeing, we've been commenting that has been kind of a puppy palooza.
2: Yeah, everybody's getting puppies right now. Yeah.
0: So I'm thinking I have done more new puppy exams during all of this than I have in a long time, which I just hope now that's not going to turn into a bunch of separation anxiety dogs.
1: It is. <laughs> it is. It is for sure. Yes. <laughs> We're already seeing it. It is. It's going to be awful in the next six months when people go back to work.
0: I had a dog come in the other day, not separation anxiety, but it goes back to the people who are just home with their pets and they said, Well, you know, he's not really eating that great. Really? He's gained 13 pounds since we saw him last. And I, well, he just doesn't eat it all at once. He, it's not till the end of the day until he eats all of this food. I don't know how to work that up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. So you're saying he is eating, just not eating fast enough for you. Okay. Or I had the case of my dog is just sleeping
1: all day. She just wants to sleep all day. And I'm like, is that different? Well, no, I don't know. I'm just home now. So she's just sleeping. I'm like, she was probably sleeping all the time before you were home. You're just home now.
2: (laughs) You are seeing her, watching her sleep. So this owner called, they are absolutely wonderful people. They love their dog. It's a 15-year-old Pomeranian. And like he had this huge abscess that we couldn't sedate him because
0: he's in congestive heart failure. And I'm like, Pomeranian, 15, he's going to be in congestive heart failure. Right.
2: (laughs) We treated this abscess. They love me because I did everything I could to make sure this dog lived through this damn thing, right? They call me today. Now, ever since the dog has been on Viagra for pulmonary hypertension, he's been having these weird issues. So I spoke with the cardiologist. We decreased the meds and that was it. In December, he went to the ER and the ER is like, no, let's up the meds, but we'll go in the middle. So ever since they upped the medication, the dog has been having erections. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, dog has been having erections and we don't know what to do. I lost it. I'm laughing hysterically on the phone with them.
0: If you've had an erection lasting more than four hours, you should right, call you your should doctor. doctor. It says that explicitly <laughs> right. in the commercial this has been going on since December. I haven't seen the, if you've had an erection that has been lasting for six months, you should
2: call your doctor. So I start laughing and she goes to me, but it's true. And I go, and that's why it's so funny.
0: (laughs) Well, Jennifer, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of this insight with us. I I know I've already said it a few times tonight. I definitely learned personally. I learned a lot just in kind of reading through what you wrote and then talking with you tonight. I really hope that it's hit home for a lot of people, kind of on both sides of the story. Um, The main thing we discussed it at the beginning, and I think it still is the way to summarize it completely is communication, communication before, communication during, communication after. And if we can remember that, then we're going to have a lot smoother outcomes and happier clients, happier patients, and happier veterinarians. So, absolutely, thank you for just bringing this up to us. I think that it's great conversation to be had. If you are in general practice and you know, the ERs that you send all your cases to, you know, maybe if you haven't done it already, just give them a call sometime when you're not busy. I don't know when that is, but when, when that happens, (laughs) you know, just say, Hey, you know, let, can we just get some general ideas of what are some general estimates? What are some expectations? What can we do to help each other out and, and kind of get those protocols in place? Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Someday when we actually get to all talk in person with one another, you could take him out for a drink or a there coffee or a donut or something <laughs> oh, you okay. know, once, once we get to commune together again. So let's move on to our wins, our fails, and our hacks. And Jennifer, since you're our guest, I'll let you go first. And you have a hack for us tonight. So...
1: I do. So um, one of the things that always seems to be a concern when sending cases to the ER is that the ER doctors or staff are going to automatically replace the IV catheter that is placed by the general practice. I don't know where this started or how <laughs> this started, but it seems like it's like a hard and fast rule that we just have to replace it. Um, we don't. We don't always replace every single catheter that comes in the building, but it does help us to know when it was placed and what gauge it was. And oftentimes there's no way for... us to know that if it's not in the notes, which then precipitates us removing the wrap and trying to look at the catheter, which invariably gets then pulled out and needs to be replaced. So one way to easily tell us is when you're wrapping your catheter, just take a piece of white tape over the vet wrap, put the date and the time it was placed and what gauge catheter it is. And then it solves the problem and we won't have to pull it out and replace it.
0: (laughs) I love that. That is a great Great hack! I think that is so easy to do.
1: Also, so it takes two seconds, and that communicates so much information to us. It saves the client money. It saves the dog having to get poked again. It you know saves us time because we can then just hook them up to fluids and get started on our stuff.
0: I love it. That is a fantastic hack. So we want to end on a win. So I (laughs) I will share my fail, my mom fail from this weekend. So, my younger daughter had a softball tournament this weekend which required us to be to drive 2 hours and sit in the 90 degree heat and and watch her play softball. My older daughter's birthday was on Saturday. And so, she got to be lucky enough to celebrate her birthday watching her younger sister play softball in the 90 degree heat and humidity and wasn't exactly the most fun day for her. And we got through and we decided that On the way home, we would drive through a particular area and we would go eat at her favorite restaurant. So that brightened her day a little bit that we were going to go eat, you know, reopened enough in our region that we could all go eat at this restaurant. And we're sitting there, we had to wait a little bit for the table and we had been talking for a couple of weeks about whether or not the summer job that she was originally going to have helping out at a local bakery, she was very excited for this job. We were discussing whether or not she would, this was going to be like her first summer job. She just turned 15, whether or not she'd get to do it because of COVID and all this kind of stuff. I thought that we had already pretty much established that job was probably not going to happen. Apparently we had not communicated that very well. And I had gotten confirmation from the woman who she was going to be working for that she wasn't going to be able to bring her on as summer help just because her revenue was down and everything else. And it just wasn't going to work out. And I was the horrible mother who broke that news to my daughter on her birthday.
2: Oh my God, you couldn't wait a day?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for, yeah. I didn't even think about it. I was reading through texts while we were waiting for our table. And I got this message and I just didn't, and I failed, oh, no. <laughs> I failed. And I said, Oh, I said, here's a text from, you know, so-and-so and, oh yeah, it looks like, yeah, that, yeah, she's not going to be able to hire you this summer. And oh my gosh, oh, you okay. could just see like the tears. And I was like, Oh, no, my husband no. looked at me. He's like, really? Just like you said, Maria, you couldn't have waited till tomorrow. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I just bored it out. <laughs> See, it's apparently common sense to everybody but me. (laughs) Yeah. So I crushed my 15-year-old daughter on her birthday that she was not going to be able to do her much anticipated summer job as bakery assistant. And yeah, that's my fail. I have no like way. There's no excuse. There's no. (laughs) Yeah. So I failed by not softening the blow on her birthday. It happens. It's okay. I'll pay for her therapy later. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, Maria, you have a win for us, but actually, you kind of have two wins for us. Yes.
2: So, I'm going to do
0: my win and
2: then I'll do the announcement.
0: Okay. Yes. Yep.
2: So, my first one is I, so my people make fun of me because I, I have my hands in little bits of everything. A couple of years ago, one of my best friends asked me to officiate her wedding. And I said absolutely. So I became an ordained minister. Um, I have now married three people. <laughs> I do think that I should do it as a side job, but isn't that like Joey on Friends? Didn't he yeah. get okay. he got ordained? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's so cool. I love doing it. Um, it's more because I love it because of who I've married. So I've married friends and family members. So like, I love it. Um, I don't know if I would get as much joy just marrying two random people. So my mom uh, just got married. So she got engaged a couple months ago after she told me millions of times, I'm never getting married again. So she got engaged a few months ago, which I'm extremely happy because I love the guy. I love his kids. I love his grandkids. And he treats my kids like they're his own. So I'm very excited about this. So she asked me to officiate her wedding. And I said, yes, absolutely. I would do that. Obviously. COVID happened and the wedding wasn't going to happen in person. So a couple weekends ago, I officiated my mom's wedding on Zoom. Very cool. And it was really, really cool. It was an honor because it's like I got to marry my mother to somebody that makes her happy and that she loves. So congratulations, guys. And if anybody is looking for someone to officiate a wedding, <laughs> I am- <laughs> I can do it in person. I can do it on the
1: computer.
0: (laughs) Now, is that
2: do you have to be licensed in a particular state? So I am licensed in New Jersey. Okay. So I might have to be relicensed. In what state, Maria, do you need to be relicensed in? That brings me to my announcement. Today was my last official day at my job because my husband and I have decided to finally live our dream that we have talked about since we met and that I have talked about since the first time I stepped in Disney World. We are moving to Florida on Sunday. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's Yay! so exciting. Not only did we're going to be living this dream, but I found my dream job where I will officially, not right away, but officially transition out of practice. Wow. That's huge. Yes. That's, That's really big. huge. That's amazing. Is, you know, I do... I love my clients. I love being in the hospital, but it's been long enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the management aspect much better. So I am extremely excited. It has been a long road. And while I have known about this for a few months, I could not announce it on any of our podcasts and I officially can announce it. And yay. yay. <laughs> Are the boys excited? Um, so my oldest is extremely excited. He cannot wait to move to Florida. He can't wait to go to the beach. He can't wait to live where Mickey Mouse lives. Meanwhile, (laughs) we are not living in Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) Geography at that age. Yeah, it's a little. He just knows Florida. Um, he's really excited about the palm trees. He shows me pictures of palm trees. And he goes, mom, I just want to show you the palm trees because I know you love them. So he's very excited, you know, he's excited for the pool, like, cause we're going to live in a community. So he's excited for the pool, the fishing ponds um, the playground. My youngest really doesn't know he's, I mean, he's two and a half, you know, he doesn't understand, but we moved our, my older one when he was two and a half. So it took like, it took some time to get him adjusted. And he kept telling me he doesn't want somebody to take his house away again. So oh. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hard, but I'm exhausted. I. Packed over a hundred boxes. I've been doing two, clo- dealing with two closings, working, and the kids, and I'm I'm tired. <laughs> Next time, the kids have to be able to pack themselves.
0: <laughs> well, maybe when they pack themselves to go off to college,
2: and then I'll cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my big announcement that I've been extremely excited. Well,
0: we are very excited for you. We've known knowing you long enough to know that this has been something that you've been very anxious for and very excited for. So we're excited to see you in this next phase of your journey. And also can't wait to hear the stories of, of the actual move itself. I'm sure that will be, <laughs> it'll, it'll be, fun. be fun. Yeah. Cause I, I think I know you well enough now to know that nothing happened in your life without at least some bumps. <laughs>
2: Oh my God. You have no idea. Even today with the movers, I was like, what do you mean you're not going to finish till the 14th?
0: I have a train to catch. And you're like,
2: oh, it's, I'm pretty sure there'll be some interesting stories. Yeah.
0: We'll see if there's any animals that poop on you or. Oh my God. Yeah. It'll be fun. But I will say this,
2: the team that I am leaving, they are amazing. I'm truly going to miss them because they. I just, I can't say enough about them. And I would like to tell them that the letters that they wrote me today, I literally, like I cried when they gave them to me. I refused to read them in the hospital because I knew I was going to get upset. And I cried like right before I turned the recording on because it was just so sweet. They are amazing. And whoever ends up there as a doctor, they have no idea
0: how lucky they are. Well, I think that is As good a place as any to sign off tonight. So again, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. We love having people join us, and it's always so much fun. And just it's been a great time. We hope that that you had a good time. Oh my gosh, (laughs) this was so much (laughs) fun! This was great. Uh, We'll definitely would love to have people back again. So don't be surprised if we reach out again. And anytime. uh, we really want to just build this network of DVMs and keep conversations going, keep communication going, because we all know that that's the core of it all. So, thank you, Jennifer, for yes, thank your you. insights. And, Maria, good luck this weekend. <laughs> thank <as> you. <laughs> you move your family across country. And to Anne, who couldn't be here tonight, happy birthday once again. We hope that bike ride's going well. <laughs> we'll let the music intro there.
2: There, there you go. go. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the DVM Divas Podcast. Want to know more about us? Then visit our website at DVMDivas.com. Or find us on all of our social media accounts Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, and even LinkedIn. Just look for at DVMDivas. We can also be reached by email at admin at dvmdivas.com.
0: Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, rate, review, and share. Your online love really does help. And tune in next week as we once again go beyond the stethoscope.